Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. So joined live in studio by Ann Doherty, uh, Cork City Chief Executive First of all, and welcome. It's 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 been a while, indeed, PJ. How, how long you. have you been in the the job now? Um, just over eight years. Nice. Yeah. So, thank you for having me, and good morning to all your listeners. It's great to be here with you. Good to speak to you again. There's not a morning goes by, and certainly there won't be two mornings in a row go by that we don't have some complaint here about traffic flow, and it all kind of started with the change of the rule on Christie Ring Bridge. Everything seems to pile up so quickly on any given morning when anything goes wrong are you doing the best you can are things going as well as they could be realistically I suppose, PJ, when you start talking about this, you have to speak to, about it in a context. So we're, we have a city today and we have a city that we're planning for. So we know that Cork is projected to be the fastest growing city in the country over the next 20 years. So that means we have to adapt new, new ways of managing traffic in the city. What mm. we were doing in the past is not going to be deliverable mm. in the future. So diversion of sa- traffic through the city centre and the creation of bus corridors, better spaces for people to walk and to cycle are options that are imperative for a city to function. Anywhere we go in the world, all of us, when we visit, we enjoy the fact that there's really good public space that we can walk on, Mm. that people can have the choice to cycle, and we enjoy public transport. So the changes on that traffic flow on Christie Ring Bridge are are just one of a, a whole range of changes that are across the city and as you know we've already made changes on the keys um, we've already done the works on both the north and the uh, both the north and the south side of, of the keys and also in relation to Christie Ring Bridge it is about very much about giving the bus the opportunity to turn right as a priority mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now and, and I'm not I'm a driver myself and I'm not suggesting that I'm always the best uh, at living with the rules none of us are but part of the problem in the mornings is that people try to take an illegal right turn and I appreciate that if people always went a certain way Mm. so we we all have to adapt and change but it is about creating the conditions that our bus service can work Mm. better. Taxi drivers gave out stink at being included in the general driving public there because they wanted to be able to use that right turn and they couldn't do that. 
Well, it's a bus priority, and that's that's what it is. Um, I think as well that if we don't, okay, if our city changes to the to the rate that we we can see that's going to happen, and we've as you said yourself before we came on air, you're driving into the city since ninety ninety four, and the yeah. changes you've seen are absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Not all great now, but no, not but all bad not, either. Not fair. all bad either. Yeah, and I think that we have to learn and we have to adapt, and changes that might have been made in in the past may have to be yeah. adjusted in the future, and that's all part of the learning. Yeah. But I think if we we don't increase and improve the reliability and the regularity of the bus service, we will continue to be snared up by cars yeah. and people don't have choice. And I think all of us now are very, very concerned and, and I suppose, interested in our health and well-being. Yeah. All ah, of us as uh, people. Well, on the, bus, on, on the bus's end, there's a the thing, and I've said this before, I'm privileged, I live 50 yards from two magnificent bus services. I'm so lucky. And in the summertime, I love to come in and walk across town to work. I don't see that privilege for other people, there's there, the bus services are not as good everywhere as they hmm. should be. We need more intensive bus services. Do we need them before people are going to be encouraged to like? You need. To, is there a kind of a cart before the horse? We're pushing the car out of the city, but the buses aren't there to replace them. I, I, I hear what you're saying, PJ. But I suppose for the buses to work, we have to make space for the buses because nobody's going to get out of their car and get into a bus to sit in the same line of traffic as they mm. set in, in their car. So the importance of developing the priority bus corridors and you're aware of Bus Connects, which yeah. is a funded project by the NTA, massive investment in Cork, like we should be just grabbing it and running with it, which we are, which is to create the conditions that the buses can work free flow through the city. So then the frequency can be improved. The number of buses will be improved because people will convert to the buses. So it, mm. it is, I hear what you're saying about the chicken and the egg a little bit, but we have to create the space for buses. But mm. also, I think going back to the, uh, how I suppose COVID taught us a lot, didn't it, as as, as people, yeah. about the importance of uh, being able to get out and about, having choice. So the importance of having walking facilities that are safe, having cycling facilities mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. people can choose to use. Um, I cycled down to, uh, as you know, Marie, um, Marina the other day, a place, as you know, that, uh, you know, was hard to deliver in terms Absolutely. of changing. It's it's life changing, Absolutely. isn't it? Can you imagine if I tomorrow and the team said we're going to reverse what's happened in the marina? That's, you, yeah. and, and you get yeah. no argument yeah. from so, me there. So I suppose why I'm using that as an example is it you, is you, about... You're suggesting here that it really is a case of we're trying to make kilometres when we have to break eggs. Is that what you're saying to people? Bear with us. Well, I do think that, yes, there is a piece about can we all work together while we try and improve our city for everybody. The people who live in it, the people who come to it for schools, mm. for college, the people who come here for work, the people who come to visit. So yes, we do all need to work together. Mm. And yes, there will be a bit of patience required mm. While the changes are made. That's very but frustrating though if you're, and Wayne Hilton who does our morning traffic reports here from the sky has identified this necklace of pinch points, mm. about six of them, and if anything goes wrong, we're goosed for an hour. I mean, will that end? Can you tell people, and Ardy, that will end? Well, it will, I think the one of the things, the solution is not more cars. That's not the solution for our city. We can't absorb that growth in population mm. and assume that everybody is going maybe to be the, in the a car. That are out there, the ones that are already there could move more freely. Yes, and they'll move more freely if we increase people's use of buses. So there is a piece about us all having to change. Um, I've to change, you've to change mm. in terms of where we can. Now, a couple, maybe 10 years ago, I probably would have driven up here. 
I walked this morning. So mm. there are life changes that we now all make choices about. Why did I walk? Because it's pleasant to walk in the city. It was very safe. I had decent footpaths to walk mm. in. And also, I got my exercise it's in. A so nice, and it's a nice morning. Which, yeah, which, but if which it was counts. raining, I would have walked too, because I have a coat with a hood, or I might use my umbrella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move on to other things. Uh, the um, dereliction. Um, we have so much dereliction. It's been called a derelict sites crisis and I ain't active enough on it. Do we need less carrot and more stick to deal with the number of derelict empty places around the place? Yeah, we could spend a day talking about this, PJ. We can give it a few minutes anyway. <laughs> Go ahead. It's, um, I mean, dereliction is a really, really complex issue. Um, and I'm not trying to uh, pretend that um, it's, it's, it's something that we can fix immediately because you can't. There are many, uh, and I suppose there's commercial and there's private and mm. you know there, there are sorry, there's commercial and residential and they are very very different but I suppose one of the things we've learned in our intervention and I suppose just going back to, to I suppose our current council adopted a policy in dereliction in 2019 when they were first elected so it's not as if we've just all woken up and decided there is a problem it's something that we've been working on meticulously over the last number of years I suppose a couple of points the first one is that not all derelict products not all derelict um, buildings or yeah. properties are vacant and not all vacant properties are derelict and sometimes that does get mm. mixed up but one of the things I think that we sometimes forget is that uh, be, be, behind every derelict building there's a story oh yeah yeah there are people there are families there are businesses in distress and when you get dig into it and start to work with people around mm. this that's when you discover but if someone deliberately leaves i think that's this is what we're talking about if someone deliberately leaves a property to rot to the point where there's a tree growing up the middle of it Surely we need to be able to say to them as a, as a local authority, use it or lose it. Yeah, and we are. And I think as well, we're, we're assuming that that property with the tree was done by neglect. Sometimes individuals don't have the financial means. Sometimes, and we've encouraged a lot of mental health issues, especially in individual uh, properties. So that, sometimes they're just letting it rot until the value goes up of the land under it. I, I, I mean, that's that's a hypothesis, PJ. I can't substantiate or deny that. But I do think our experience is, is that when we work with people, a lot of people are terrified of engaging with any kind of a government agency. They're terrified. A lot of the people involved in this are elderly and we do need to uh, support them. But I think we do work with people. First and foremost, we have to identify who owns the property. That's not always easy. We then have to work with them, and then when we work with them, we have to. We're trying to encourage them to remove their dereliction if there's dereliction, or and we have, and and you know as we have, we have absolutely taken properties over using the compulsory purchase process. Mm. And again, there's lots Which of calls. Is a slow and an arduous process. It is. It is. Yeah. And I Should suppose. We speed it up? Well, I suppose that that's a legislative question, and, and that's not me being flippant. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. we work within the rules that are are there available to us. Like if you if you call, if I have a derelict property and you come to me and you express your concerns and you say do something with it ah grander will you um, like how long is it then before you well, tell we me? would work with you and then what does that mean 
Well, we would work with you to see where there are um, financial supports available to you to help you to address the dereliction of your property. There are lots of different schemes. Uh, we would then obviously assess if you weren't doing that, we'd give you, uh, uh, I suppose, a shot across the bow in terms of if you don't do it, we will move into the process. But obviously, CPO can be challenged. And in some cases, we've lost um, with, on bo- with the board uh, the CPO mm. process. But I suppose what's important is, um, uh, from our perspective, uh, we've about 450 social homes that have been built in the city in the last com- number of years, which has been taking areas out of dereliction. So, mm. for example, out in Hawks Road, which is the most recent affordable scheme in the city, mm. that was a derelict yeah. Um, site and derelict property. So, you know, the, a lot of the... I think people get frustrated at the length of time that yeah, these things take and, and there's a perception that internationally, by international comparison, we're very slow. Well, I suppose we're all frustrated about it, but we all have to live with the rules and the legislation of the land we live in. So there's no point in discussing what's done somewhere else if it's a different legal framework. We have to work within the rules that we have. And that's where we put our energy. So we open cases, we close cases, we add sites, we remove sites from the derelict sites register. From the derelict sites register, I suppose most recently, as you know, uh, government have announced some new schemes that will help in terms of um, Creek Connor has been extended, yeah. and, and so we hope that those type of schemes will assist. Yeah. But I mean, in our city, um, a lot of the properties are very expensive to remove their dereliction, and that can be a barrier. Some of the properties are involved with. Um, receivers, there's complicated legal agreements behind them. So these things, these, All these of these things. things. And, and I know people will say, oh, they are just excuses, but they are actually facts. But I think it's really important, and to those who are listening this morning, is that just that we might all remember that behind every building, there's mm. people. So what you're saying here is that pe- you're asking listeners to, to accept that if you choose a building, you know, one the street, is lying idle for a couple of years and the council sees that it needs to move on one the street, that there's a story behind one the street. Mm -hmm. And until you get to the bottom of that story, you can't cross the threshold, really. No, no. And sometimes as well, I think we have to remember that um, we are, and and I I won't name the property, but for example, we have CPO'd a property here in the city, um, whereby um, under the derelict sites um, legislation, we had to do that without actually being able to see the inside of the building. And when we got in there, there are far more issues than anyone could ever have imagined. Mm. And again, Nobody who's looking from the outside can see that. So they're the types of things we're faced with. I think as well that um, we have to, um, a, a lot of people talk about the levies and why aren't you collecting the levies? Mm. Sometimes... The, the le- levies are very small too. They, they are small, yeah. And levies, uh, you know, there is a message in levies saying, if you know, if you don't use your property, you will be exposed yeah. to levies. But the other side of that is sometimes the levies actually inhibit bringing it out of dereliction because some of the people we're dealing with do not have the financial means. Mm. Will that be a majority or a minority? Um, it's probably mixed. I suppose most properties are distressed. Mm. Yeah. And if it's an individual, they probably don't have the financial means. If it's on the bigger commercial side, a lot of them are involved in very um, complex mm. disputes around receivers and other such issues as a consequence of what happened 
10, 12 years ago. Okay, okay. I, I know that you're happy to stay with us. And we, we, I'm we, happy we, to we, stay we may, all we may, day. <laughs> we may go, go afternoon yeah. for some more questions. But you, for example, if you take, uh, I spoke recently with the owner of Household Linens who's closing up 20 units on Alfbrunk Street, empty. Like, will they, will they go into dereliction? Um, I think any city, I suppose there's one thing, there's a couple of things, PJ, and uh, retail's changing very, very significantly. We've all seen that. Um, there's the whole online disruption. There's the change in relation to international um, houses coming in. But I suppose one of the things we should remember is that Cork has a huge network of, ind- of independent traders and Household Linen was a great asset. I spent many a bob in there myself, mm. uh, but, and I'm very sorry to see them go. Um, but I think that we see um, new things happening in the city. So, for example, if I look at Dune came into the city recently, uh, North Face have come in, um, um, Mango are coming but into the old quills. None of them are traditional family no, 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 household no, no. businesses, no, no, which I'm is just, what the city was built on. Yeah, and I, I'm just looking at mm. some of them as the ones that are coming in. I do believe that the... Um, that the traditional family businesses are still opening up. Some of them are in coffee shops and other like beauty salons, etc. It's not the traditional retail that we've we've enjoyed. But I suppose the other thing for all of us is if we want to have vibrant retail in the city, we have to support it. Mm. We have to come in and spend our hard-earned cash in those independent stores. Um, in Which order brings for them us to back to the traffic issue because people don't want to sit in traffic when they're trying to come in and do a bit of shopping. Well, I think that we've, um, and as a response to COVID, but also as a response to what people wanted, we've pedestrianised a significant amount of the city centre. Mm. Uh, as you know, during COVID, we... Will there six, be more? Um, I think there will be in the future because I think that's what people will want. So if you go down Oliver Plunkett Street now and I'm sure you've been down there yourself Mm -hmm. it's like Christmas Eve on a normal day loads of people out and about, young people, older people. I think that's the vibrancy that mm. the city needs. Yeah, and there's that's a, there's what a very European swing to, say, um, Princess Street now and Marriott, where the, t- the, 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 the outdoor dining mm. took yeah. over. Your, and I think people did, did welcome that, but they don't like going down and seeing empty shop after empty shop after empty shop because well, it takes v- from it. Our vacancy, and we would compare, I don't know if you saw the business post on uh, Sunday, um, they, they were, there was an assessment of vacancy in the city. Like, we're uh, no way in excess of anything that's happening anywhere else on the island of Ireland and actually in many streets we're better so there is a shift happening right across mm. the world I suppose the important thing for the city is footfall, uh, people living in the city centre and people mm. visiting the city centre mm. and you mentioned there that people don't want to come in because of traffic I, I, I think that it's a, I mean definitely as you, you know you mentioned uh, the 220 yourself wasn't mm. it I mean, definitely, every time I see that bus, it's absolutely full, right from mm. Carrigaline all the way to Ballincollig. Mm. So more and more of we that. We need more of those. Absolutely. And that's why we need the priority bus corridor so that the bus works well and we'll all to make that change but we have support for people to come to the city centre there's an amazing park and ride on the west side of the city which is underutilised Well, we one of the reasons it's underutilised now that you bring it up is it opens at a bonkers time I mean I would be quite happy to use it a lot of the time but I need to be in here I need to be in here well before 7.30 mm. I mean that that park and ride the first bus should be departing there at 6am and, and, no and if there is a demand for that 
we will respond if to it. If you build it, they will come. If well, you put yeah, the service on, yeah, people will maybe, take it. Yeah, and maybe and we need to respond. To, what happened to the other three parking ways you're supposed to be having since 1974? No, you're right. And if you look at the Bus Connects documentation, it talks about that necklace of park and rides. But we're back again to the same issue. Are you going to park in a park and ride and get on a bus that's caught in the traffic? You won't. So you have to put in the bus corridors mm. so that those buses can work efficiently. But, but we are talking about those parking rides, though, since, since 1980. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, rem- I remember Burnsy. Yeah. Burnsy and Cloche de Cree Street in 1980, yeah. early 80s, telling me about the yeah. land use and, and transportation. And so, now yeah. there is. And you know what? Cork was really, really well served, and predecessors are mine, great people, had huge vision around that mm. land use and published really strong policies that we're actually benefiting from today. But going back to the. Well, I know I'm going to have traffic. to pause you there and if you could we're going to have to go and take the news and, and take a break for five or six minutes yeah. and we'll chat some more because I do want to get on to housing yeah. and I want to get on to social housing and allocation of housing and all those things I'm talking to uh, Cork City Chief Executive Anne Doherty and we've got some more time after the news yeah, We're live in studio with Cork City Chief Executive Anne Doherty to I, I guess address Anne some of the things that come in on a week by week basis from Listeners, we're not here to to row. We're not here to have a, a barony. We're here to see what might be the the reasons behind certain things that that work slowly. Can we move to to social and affordable housing, social housing in particular? And I know that the city and should get credit for it in terms of the building of new houses. First of all, the quality of what you're building is exceptional. I've seen them. I've walked around them. I've been shown the inside, and you're building. You're up to target in terms of what you're due to build or bring on stream. Are the targets too low is the obvious question. Well, I suppose the targets are set um, by national government based on an assessment of need. Um, so I, that's that's how the, they are set. Um, we have very ambitious targets. I suppose we need... Target isn't a minimum. That would be the first thing I would say. So we would hope to be in a position to exceed on our targets, if at all possible. Yeah. So that's, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's really important. Um, I suppose we have, since 2019, develop, develop, delivered uh, 2,286 new homes uh, across all types of, the, of delivery streams. Um, and of that, 2,049 were delivered for social homes and 132 for affordable mm-hmm. and 105 cost rental. And how many are on the conveyor now, say, for the next couple of years? In terms of our targets up to the end, of the uh, plan is um, sorry now PJ I'm, off, I'm actually after losing my train on that You're one okay. is 3,000 uh, for the period up to 2022 I've just given you yeah. the wider is um, God PJ I You're don't okay. know the top okay. you have a target you'll yeah, find I just have a memory block there you'll, you'll, find, no, you're right. you'll, find, you'll find it in a minute yeah. Let's, but with regard to okay so you're producing these houses and then mm. we come to the type to, to the point of view of allocation. Yes. And I'll bring one example up. It, it may have been an allocated by now. I'm, I'm not aware if it mm. has. But a month ago, I spoke about Mandeville yes. Place. Which the, the photo op and was months and months ago. And we were told at the time they were only stag listing. And a month ago, there was nobody in Mandeville Place. Why does a completed turnkey home takes so long to allocate. So Mandeville Place is uh, was a right-sizing scheme. 
So what that means is that people who are existing people in uh, local authority homes uh, that are underoccupied and people are or people who were selling their homes to to uh, a smaller home. That's what that scheme was for. So as part of that process, obviously people aren't going to make that decision until they see the product finished. You're not going to leave your forever home and move to Mandeville Place without seeing it finished. So that was the first thing. Um, the people then who were moving to Mandeville Place uh, were either releasing existing social homes or they were private people who were selling their homes to the council and then moving to Mandible Place. Now, like in any of those transactions, you know there has to be conveyancing and all of the things that but need that to happen. But is work not done while the place is being built? Well, I, as I said at the beginning there is in relation to Mandible Place, I think it is unreasonable to ask anybody at an age in their life to move from their forever home that they had, where they may have brought up their family, etc., to a new home without actually seeing the finished product. I, I don't think that you could do that off plans. It's very different for, say, a young couple who are buying off plans in a development. Mm. I think that's very, very different than asking people to make big life-changing decisions to mm. change from their bigger home to this home that suits their needs now. And that was one of the reasons that we can always learn. And we will definitely work with the people who have moved into those homes to are learn. Are they allocated, we, yes? They are in the process of being allocated, yes. Yeah. What about other projects that finish and seem to be turnkey and then seem to perceptively lie idle. One would think that the minute you've got the place ready that there's such a housing list out there yeah. that you'd have them allocated within weeks. As, as you know uh, the uh, allocation of homes has worked. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Through uh, our uh, choice-based letting systems, so we have uh, all our homes that are available for letting go up on choice-based lettings, and uh, individuals can identify that they wish to be considered for a particular home. Now, some homes could have lots of people interested in them, so you have to work through who then mm. gets and that do home. And play, do newly constructed places go into the CPL yes, system yes. just as well as everything yes, else? Yes. So it's all done that way. Yeah, because it's fair. It's fair to everybody. Is this? 
Well, I think it is because uh, at the end of the day, as human beings, we need to have choice. So there's no point in the local authority allocating PJ Coogan to live in place A when PJ Coogan's family live in location C. And so that's where choice-based lettings came from, was that individuals could choose where in the city they wished to apply for their uh, long-term home. Okay, okay. With regard to the reallocation, so let me again bring up a, a scenario that we've known for years happens. No one's ever been able to explain why. So I leave my council home. And I've been there for quite some time. I've kept it well. I've been a good tenant. I leave it in good condition. Why does it take so long to reallocate my house? Well, I suppose a bit like dereliction. Behind every house, there was a family, there was a story, there was a condition. And so you can't just look at it all as one process. So some homes that are released might have had the same people in them for 50 or 60 years. Other homes have, might have been more recent. So all of the homes have to be assessed. Some of them may need intervention. And they're the types of things that influence the length of time that a home needs to be kept before by, by it's related. By intervention, you mean me refurbishment? It may need I, to be I've, refurbished. I've, I've made the point of I, I've kept my, my home well. And an engineer could examine my home in a day, day and a half, two days and decide this home is perfectly safe to be lived in, then why can't it be relocated that quickly? Well, I suppose every home has to be just assessed because we are um, reletting homes to somebody. So we have duties in relation to ventilation, fire safety, etc. And I appreciate that individuals keep their homes fantastically, but we still have to assess them. Mm. Um, I suppose we do need to... Are you, look obliged, at this- sorry, are you obliged if I leave my home after my 10 years or whatever? Are you obliged to bring that up? to environmental standards where you reallocated or can people get them as is? Do we do as is letting? Well, it would depend on the home. Like we, there are certain standards we have to bring up electrical standards or boiler standards. Some of them have to be done. Uh, so it will depend on the home. It's not, a, again, one size fits all. But I suppose maybe I begin a little bit of context around mm. the scale here. So we've 10,500 social homes under the management of Cork City Council. And um, as, you, as you said yourself, an awful lot of good things happen in those homes. Um, The council uh, in terms of the percentage of the overall stock that's vacant and under repair at the moment is 283 homes which is 2.7% of the stock. That's voids, isn't it? They're voids. Well, they're under repair, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, The other one then is uh, 64 homes are currently vacant and awaiting tenancy. Now, there may be homes around the city and especially uh, in the Nocknahini area that um, people have left those homes to make way for their demolition as part of regeneration. Mm. So they, you know, some people look at them and say, oh, why are they not being used? That's part of the programme of regeneration, yeah? Mm. Just, you went back there about the the condition of homes. Like, we're very clear that, um, you know, we're we're not uh, over-specking or replacing things just for the sake of it. We're very mindful now of sustainability, of making Mm. sure that we're not creating unnecessary waste, that we reuse things. So Mm -hmm. some of the things maybe that you've described, I think that we we have a a very significant shift in relation to that. Will you still remove my perfectly good kitchen, which is only five years old, and throw it into the back of a skip? No, not necessarily, no. Not necessarily? Well, I I mean, everything's individual, PJ. I can't sit here and say absolutely, because there may be... 
your perfectly well, why good kitchen. Why would it be done? Why well, would a perfectly good kitchen? Well, it's be your assessment out? that it's a very good kitchen. Well, an engineer will tell you yeah, in half an, an yeah. hour. So yeah. So if the engineer said there's nothing wrong with that kitchen, of course we won't pull it out. Right. But if there is something wrong with it, we will have to make the remedial action, which will be repair or replace. That's. That's, yeah, but we're very mindful of sustainability. We're very mindful of ensuring that we don't contribute unnecessarily to environmental... Um, so, so if a kitchen or a bathroom is taken out, and we were only talking to co- people a couple of weeks ago that told us they saw it happening to a household, if a kitchen or a bathroom is taken out, it's because an engineer has said take this absolutely. out. Absolutely. It's assessed. Every home is individual. Right. Okay. Okay, it, it it seems to frustrate people. You know? I know, I know, and I and I hear your show, and I hear what people are saying, um, but I think again, it's again about understanding what's going on behind it. Mm. So there's, we're not going to unnecessarily make interventions. We're very conscious of the importance of getting homes back into productive use. Mm. Uh, we are working really, really hard. We've reduced our reletting times and our reletting costs between What's 21... What's the average? Um, off the top of my head, I don't have it with me, but we've reduced it by 23% between 21 and 22, both time and cost. Right. And some of that, and there's a national... I mean, it's all this information is publicly available, PJ. There's the NOAC report, it's called. It's the National Oversight... Uh, yeah. National Oversight and God can't remember what A and C means mm. but it's a publicly available report that reports on all local authorities in the country so mm. you can see there the performance of so every depend, local authority. It depends on the condition in which it was left and, and again I'm, I'll address that one if a kitchen or a bathroom or flooring was removed it's because an engineer said well, there that. would be a reason based on the assessment of the property why it would be changed, yes. Okay. Yeah. I suppose okay. the other thing is, PJ, and you know, this is an interesting debate maybe we can all have. So we are all trying to improve. Obviously, when we look at our climate challenge as a city, uh, we've done a baseline survey with the help of our um, colleagues in UCC, which demonstrates where our emissions are coming from. So our emissions in our city are coming from two places mainly. They're coming from transport, Mm. And they're coming from homes. So we are trying to bring all the homes in the city up to a standard. Now, we have a stock of 10,500. That's not uh, something you can do overnight. So sometimes with the older homes, we do actually try and bring them up to environmental standards. But obviously, we're very mindful of the pressure on housing at the moment. So there is that uh, assessment to be made. Can we do a minimal intervention now? But then we have to go back in maybe and do a major intervention, which can be very disruptive for a family. Mm. So again, it's about each home is very, very individual. And I know that's frustrating for people, but that's yep. the facts. Look down from our studio view here onto Patrick Street. Yes. All the available I space know. upstairs. There was a thing in the 90s called the living above oh, the, the shop. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it stopped. Like look at look at the yeah. property that's and there was down living there. there was living cities then as well, yeah. which is but another look at the property scheme. there on Patrick mm. Street then. Why on earth could we not have the top floor turned into little apartments? And I think we've seen some of that happen in the city, haven't we? If you look at uh, the old tourist office on the Grand Parade, mm. Focus Ireland have exactly yes, done that. Yes, and that's a brilliant job. And that's a brilliant job, yeah. So again, though, they had to um, you know, bring it all to the standards and not all of the properties... Um, have got the space to do that. They were able to use space at the back as well. But I think there's examples on North Main Street. There's examples on um, on Grand Parade. But I think we're all very mindful. The important thing is that we do need people living in the city centre. Mm-hmm. And part of that will be that people can live 
in mm. an environment over over the shop. So I absolutely agree with you, but it's about the, the suitability of all of the properties. I suppose the other thing, PJ, maybe we could all reflect on is not everybody who owns the properties over the shop want them converted because of the disruption of mm. people's washing business. machines and business, etc. Mm. So, you know, there is that... that you, 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 have, you have got the... And you have to deal with, and it must be acknowledged, I guess, you have to deal with the fact that we have very strong property rights in this country, private property rights. We do, we do, yeah, and we strong. would have gone to an Oireachtas Committee many years ago and would have flagged that and said, you know, mm. until there is a change in that constitutionally, well, we have limitations and that as a local authority. To be fair, Father Peter McVeary himself has said that about the property rights. Well, he'd be a far more, what's uh, uh, word, scholared commentator than I would be, <laughs> and I wouldn't uh, dare compete with his excellence. Well, let's, let's deal with another one that comes up all of the time. And, and and this is one that gets emotive and sad. So someone is served with a notice to quit mm. by their landlord. And they're, they say, look, I'm fine with that. It, it's going to happen. I can do nothing about it. So let us say someone has a notice to quit in their hand today for the 1st of September. They've got to be up at the 1st of September. Why can they not get any kind of a service from council until they're standing there with their hands hanging to them and their children crying? Because... There's nowhere they can sign up and say, I'm going to be homeless in six weeks' time or I'm going to have nowhere to go in six weeks' time. They've got to wait until they're there with their bags, baggage and crying children, which sounds extraordinarily cruel. Yeah. Well, I suppose, Peter, I'm not sure who's given you that information because it's actually untrue. Countless callers. Well, let me just maybe set the record straight. Uh, And if if people, if they can go to our website and and look at this information as well. So what the accommodation placement service um, works with households who require emergency accommodation and also for those who've received uh, notice to quit. The message that we've been giving right from the beginning of all of this is the importance of an early um, intervention with us. Because then we can work with people while there is time to make something happen. So anyone who receives a notice to quit is advised to present a threshold because, as you know, there has to mm. be the, uh, that's the tenancy protection service to ensure that the notice period is valid and that it's legal, what's been, what's been asked mm. to people. And once threshold has confirmed that valid notice, APS will engage with that household. So there, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. They won't say to me, well, you're going to be homeless on the 1st of September. We'll, we'll talk to you on the 1st of September. No. You're not homeless today. Absolutely not. Because what our they do for me entire motivation is to prevent people being homeless, to find alternative solutions for people. So it's not about waiting until the day that somebody um, is homeless to engage with them. It's about engaging now while they're in a home to help secure. So, so are, all the, are all the people who write to me, who email me, who call and talk on the phone about this, are they all wrong? Have they missed something? I, I wouldn't like to judge anybody and why what mm. what they're saying. All I can do in sitting here in front of you today is honestly share with you the process that's in place. So they will talk to you. Absolutely. We want to avoid people being homeless. That's what it's about. So we will support people. We'll engage with landlords to see if can, tenancies can be saved. We'll look at suitable options in terms of alternative housing for people. And we have a place finder service as well, which provides financial support in, in terms of paying for first month's rent or deposit and, and enhanced HAP rates, obviously, also. So for anybody who's deemed at risk. So we have an active... And that in terms of the all of the um, discussion around the 
um, no blame eviction ban um, the thing for me was and for our staff and our team was to put arrangements in place to be able to do exactly what I've described mm, that that eviction ban and the lifting of it there there was it was people were very angry with the, that the council refused to debate it at a special meeting now I know that you're not a member of council but you're sitting in those meetings uh, Lord Mayor had the casting vote would it not have been better just to debate it for a few hours and see what had come up rather than just you know pushing it away I think the important thing, PJ, from my perspective, is that we had arrangements in place to support people, because that's far more important than any debate, in my view, uh, in terms of my job, which mm. is to support council in its work, the elected members, but also to ensure that as the executive and the staff of the executive, that we've arrangements in place, as I've just described, to ensure that there's services there for people. That's what's important. Mm. You didn't feel that anything could be accomplished by a debate. It's not mine to well, have. No, it's, an, not it's not mine to have an opinion on PJ. Yeah, yeah. you know, I, we support the elected members and mm. their business, but for me uh, and for the staff, it's about ensuring that we have the services in place for the people who need them. Okay, let me we'll come on to the end shortly. Um, one of the things that people uh, look to in the future is Bus Connect. We've discussed mm. it before. Um, is all the funding in place? Will we eventually have all these bus corridors? And will we have to cut down loads of trees to have them? Um, and take away people's the walls The funding and is in place. There's very significant investment in relation to Bus Connects. And I suppose, you know, uh, what, what is, you know, that old cliche about judge me, what is it? Judge me by what I do, not by what I say. Yes. Yeah. So you can see that we are spending money. That's uh, for active travel. Uh, you can see the work we're doing across the city, be it from Cobra Street to McCurtain Street to the work we've done on Patrick's Key to um, Lapsky. You know, right across the city. So the money is there. I think that there is a huge because of the designation that Cork has in the national plans about being that fastest growing region as a counterbalance to Dublin. That the security of that funding is there but I suppose what's important is that we work together to be able to spend that money mm. and that is and I know people get very frustrated about the length of time things take but I, I work for a democratically uh, a democratic organisation in the sense we have an elected council that represents the people and therefore democracy is at the heart of everything that we do so we do have to consult we do sometimes have to compromise in terms of making things happen but there are processes we have to go through and I know that frustration Frustrates people, mm. but again, some well, of those the, the processes. Perception, the perception is that our processes or your city halls processes. The perception is that they're flippant slower than anything else in the private sector or anything else anywhere else in the world. Well, I suppose we can never compare the public sector to the private Why sector not? because the private sector doesn't have to do what we have to do. So if I, if you take uh, Cork City Council and it was a private business and I was the CEO and we'd a board of directors. We would just get on and do it, yeah? Mm. Because we wouldn't be interested in the same way as we are in ensuring that we support the citizens of the city because the city is for people. Right. 
And so therefore it's important and public consultation leads to better um, better design sometimes. It does lead to better solutions and sometimes there has to be compromises and that's the way it has to be. Going back to your question about uh, will we have to remove trees, in some instances that may be the case. We've had to remove trees in order to build homes in the city but our commitment is to replace trees. So uh-huh. we, between last year and this year we will be planting 9,000 trees across the city. Okay, that's that one two more one is this has come in um, maintenance so people in the council house and the boiler uh, is playing up or there's something up um, maintenance delays in maintenance something's leaking take forever to get a plumber out or an electrician out okay why does it take so long um, well, some of it is around just the management of the volume of requests vis-a-vis the resources to address the issues. But we do now have um, a customer uh, a customer response portal where everything is documented. So we have very good data and very good visibility on where issues are, where calls are coming from. And we're moving now to the staff who work on the ground being able to use handheld tech- tech- oh, excuse me, I'm having a tongue tie there, handheld technology mm-hmm. to be able to you know close out or be able to give information back. So I think that's really, really important. We've also, um, I suppose, one of the things that the city, and it's re- one of the reasons, I suppose, the history the history, history is great, um, you know, that there was uh, vacant homes in the past. It's about not having strong planned preventative maintenance programmes. Mm. So we're trying to build and shift from, you know, as we've been talking about, you know, getting homes back that then have to be, take a long time to bring back because of all the work that has to be done to having a programme of planned preventative mm-hmm. maintenance um, in place. So I hope that answers your listeners' um, your listeners' query. Now, one last one. Um, and every so often, it 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 appears on the newspaper or someone talks about it. Um, congestion charge. Would you, as chief <laughs> executive, ever contemplate a congestion charge? To come into Cork City. Well, I suppose it's not a, a it's not the chief executive's decision. Um, Do you uh, have a view on it? Um, well, I suppose congestion. Char- well, a couple of things. The first one is that there is a report, a national report, is called the Five Cities Report, uh, which does look at all of the things that need to be done to address emissions and one of them is whether or not there should be congestion charges in all the cities and maybe if uh, if some of your uh, listeners feel uh, that they want to, that's available on the government mm. website. Like it's already hard enough to be a motorist without that. Yeah, so I think uh, congestion charges are, are not something you could consider without alternatives. Back to the, right the beginning of our conversation, mm. PJ. That's why I wanted people, to bring yeah, it to the end. People need choice. People need to be able to make the decisions to walk, to cycle, to use the bus to have a park and ride option and then you might be able to consider it but to me it would be a measure at the end of all those interventions not at the beginning it's not going to happen in I I don't I don't believe so I don't believe it would be the right answer for our city at this point in time that's a good way to end it thank you PJ and thank you for your time okay lastly and and Artie still with me because there was a, a there's an issue that I wanted to discuss with you and we completely forgot and that is the dispute in the fire service. Uh, the fire service have told me, the union at the fire service have ensured me that there's no danger if I call out a 999 call, there's mm. no danger I won't get a fire a fire engine. But what's been done to resolve the problem? Well, I think 
it, first and foremost, maybe can I just, if you can indulge me, I just want to kind of set a context to this, and I'd be very, and I'm not going to debate an industrial uh, issue between um, a staff representative organisation and ourselves because I think that belongs in the uh, Workplace Relations okay. Commission. We've accepted an invitation, and I would, I suppose, impress on the uh, the men and women of the fire service to encourage their representative body to go to the Workplace Relations Commission because that's where these things can be resolved. But I do think it's important just to maybe, and I welcome the statement from the uh, representative organisation in relation to that, to reassure everybody that there is no risk and um, that that is really, really important. So a couple of things. We have in Cork City a full-time fire service, a full-time fire service that responds to over 3,000 incidences a year. Um, that fire service is provided uh, and prior to, because lots of people talk about the boundary extension, the Cork City Fire Service, funded by Cork City Council and Cork County Council, remains the same as it did because we always provided that service to the wider area. In Ballancolig, there is a retained fire service, which is a part-time fire service. It has about 230 incidences a year. So I think that that context is important. So why are we here today? So we've had, in 2020, we ran a campaign for permanent firefighters, mm -hmm. uh, full-time permanent firefighters, and had a really successful campaign. But one of the unintended consequences was that a lot of the retained firemen, mm -hmm. uh, they were all men actually that were in the retained service, uh, were successful in getting uh, full-time fire mm -hmm. service jobs. Which left Ballancolic Which left Ballancolic without staff. So I think it's really, really important that I uh, reinforce here today, nobody closed anything in Balancholic because of not having mm. staff. It had then, we were unable to continue the service. Now, we've ran a, a very aggressive campaign to recruit retrained fire services retained fire services and that's still ongoing but that campaign has been very slow in its uptake so I suppose one of the things I would ask uh, today and the, on this on your show PJ is that we, you know any prospective applicants out there should be aware that of the requirements to be a retained fire person in Balancolic you have to live within five minutes of the station in Balancolic so the the pool of people who can apply for that retained service are in the Balancolic area. So that competition remains open and we would very, very much welcome anybody that mm. is uh, is interested. But that does require the support of both the community and the businesses right. because people have to. I yeah. suppose the other thing is there's a lot of discussion about this fourth pump. I, it's important that that fourth pump was a retained pump, not a full-time pump. And, that, and I believe there is a solution that we can work on this, yeah. but that I mean, needs to be done in the proper channels, in the um, workplace relations. And that I think is probably best where we leave it yep. in that the, the city, as yourself and the city have uh, agreed to go to the URC. I believe from a last conversation with Sifter that so too have they. Oh, fantastic. So, so we let it go to Great. the WRC and we'll talk about that on another day. You had another figure. You oh, found a figure for me. I did, I did. Thank you. The I number of having, houses yeah, that you yeah, are, thanks, are in PJ. process at the moment. So we've 32 sites across the city at the moment, um, both at a, an affordable and a social level. Our action plan is 5,671 5, up to 2026, okay. which is a mix of both social and affordable okay. homes. So thank you for letting me clarify no, that's, that's that. A, that's a, that's my uh, amnesia there for a minute. <laughs> that's a solid figure. And thank you very much <laughs> for being with us here. And Doherty, just held on to her for a couple of minutes to talk about that fire service. Corks 96 FM. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.